Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. I think there's a thing we pray for a lot is that every generation would live out pretty much what that video talks about. Uh, a lot of us have a theoretical knowledge of Jesus and grace. So I was taught all my life that you know, grace is unmerited favor in Sunday school. And there's a big difference, and this is my prayer for this day, uh, where it would go from a theoretical, like, I, I feel like I've accepted the grace of the Lord, and Jesus Christ himself would look you in the face today and declare grace over your life. And it will destroy every power of hell and every shame-filled thing that's ever been placed on you. You ever heard the statement, shame on you? You ever heard someone say that to you? And maybe I'm a little bit more of a punk, so I got it said to me quite a bit. But like, shame on you, man. Like, why are you stealing vodka bottles from Kroger? I don't know. I'm just that crazy, you know? But shame on you. Why are you getting bad grades? Shame on you. Why are you doing this? Shame on you. And our culture operates in shame. And they place it on people really freely. You should be ashamed. But Jesus looks in people and goes, shame off of you. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ is this. I see him do it all the time. He gets down, eye level, looks people in the face who have no business looking at the Son of God, and he goes, shame off of you, and I'm going to give you a new name, and I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to make a new thing. There's power in it. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's a person to meet. And I want you to meet Jesus Christ today. And if you're like, I met him, I want you to meet him again. Our, our vision for this church is actually lovers of God, that love others into life-changing encounters with God. So I'm not even saying something that's just purely weird. I'm just saying, I want you to encounter God today. I want the living Son of God and the power of His Word, there's a tangibleness to it, to rip shame off of you. I want to suck it right out and place inside of you power, love, mercy, and the beauty of God. And I believe it will happen. You're like, how? I asked Him. And so as I looked at today, like we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and if you have a Bible, please open a Bible. Uh, we're in our reading plan. Jesus is just meeting people, healing people, and, he, and he's going to encounter an unlikely guest at a meal with a Pharisee. Uh, the thing is, the church doesn't always respond well to unwanted guests. And so I want to actually segue into this, this, this verse by using the testimony of another person. His name is actually Joby Martin. He's a pastor. He's a little bit more redneck than me. Uh, but he, and I'll give you a little context, used to work at a gym when he was a youth pastor way back when. We all start there. Uh, and he was in a gym, and so he'd make smoothies. And he said across the street from the gym uh, was a strip club. And so the gym owner made a deal that they could all come get free memberships so you can draw all the men to come work out. That's figured out. But what he realized, that all these women had names, backgrounds, histories, and none of them wanted to work there. They all had kids and families and histories and pain and a lot of shame. And so he would regularly, they would regularly come to the gym, work out, he'd make them smooth. They'd be like, hey, you should come to where we work. And he'd be like, ah, now how about you come to where I work? And that was the church, and this is his story. Uh, about shame and inviting people to church. And then we come walking into church. 
little too expensive. There's only one of them. About 50 people on each side. And at least in this text, it says that Simon said it to himself. People at the church that I was on staff, they didn't keep it to themselves. I could hear the whispers. I could hear, who is, who is the youth pastor? What is she doing? I could feel the stairs. I got up to do my announcements, and people look at me, look at her. And again, the whole church is like seven families, right? So you know if somebody is new, and they're just the stairs and the stairs and the comments, and then the preacher gets up, and I'm, I'm sweating. And the preacher gets up, and he opened the Bible, and he taught something from the Bible. I can't remember a word he said. I just remember that the, the song we closed with was Jesus Paid It All. Service is over. The deacon, chairman of the deacons, comes up to me with her sitting next to me and goes, uh, we need to meet with you in the pastor's office. Now, in that church, deacon meant power broker. In the Bible, in our church, deacon means servant. He says, need to meet you in the pastor's office. And I, I, I said, this happens all the time. It's not a big deal. Why don't you, which was a lie. So why don't you go get your kid. I'll meet you at the car. Just take a couple minutes. And I walk into the pastor's office, and he's sitting there. He never said a word. And the chairman of the board of deacons and two other men said to me almost exactly what it says here. What sort of woman is this? that you brought here. Now, I wish, in my early 20s, I wish I would have had the gospel courage to stand on the rock and say, uh, the kind of woman that Jesus died on the cross for, but I didn't. It's embarrassing. I didn't. <clears throat> I was a coward. Because I was concerned about my job. I was concerned about what these people thought. I was concerned about my reputation. I was concerned about what my resume would say in the future. I was just scared. And so I was more concerned with the applause of these four men than I was the approval of the most I got. And I said, hey, my bad, I'm sorry. And they said, they said something to the effect of, the reason that this church exists is to be a safe place for our families to protect these children from people like that. got up and I walked out to the car and I'm trying to act like that didn't happen and she knew exactly what happened and she had gotten in her car she put the top up tears are just rolling out from under her aviators she said that was about me wasn't it and I just lied no 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 there's some stuff we had to talk about now. meanwhile her daughter is sitting in the car with a picture of Jesus that she'd been coloring in some school as we're driving home, I don't know what to say. It's super awkward. And so I'm still lying. I haven't fessed up to it at all. And I just go, so what'd you, what'd you think? Tears rolling down her face. She just said, I have never felt more degraded in my whole life. Little contact. 48 hours earlier, she's drinking stuff and dancing on a pole with no clothes on to get a dollar from a stranger. Somehow that event was less degrading than when she came into a church with a cross on the front with Jesus' name on it. So that event was more heartbreaking. And I don't know, maybe some of you have had experiences like this. And my guess is that if you're in this church, some of us have. And I'd say sorry. That's not Jesus. Jesus makes a habit of finding the most sinful people, looking them in the face and declaring the kingdom of God. Sinners be free. Peace of the Lord be upon you. And we're going to watch that happen today. 
but I don't want to watch it as a story. I want to watch it as an event that a real-life woman met a real-life God and everything changed. And that's what I want for you. I want you, a real-life man or woman, to meet a real-life God, and I want him to change everything. And if you have shame on you, I heard that my whole life, you need to understand there's a difference between shame and, and guilt. Guilt is based in what you do. Some of us have done bad things. I'm one of them. Shame is based in identity and who you are. And the people of God, when they come to Jesus Christ, they get a new identity. And I want shame off of us so that we might run in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to pray to that effect. And then we're just going to walk through uh, Luke 7. And so, Lord, I ask for the incarnate Son of God, the power of heaven, that this wouldn't be a story. This would be an event in this church where you mark us by your grace and set us free from everything that binds us. I pray shame would be torn off of lives this morning. That the freedom of Jesus Christ would reign in this room. And even right now, we would feel your love in pursuit of us. You know what we've done. And still you come and died. I love you, and I thank you that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. So what you have to know is that it seems like many Christians seem devoid of the very thing that Jesus came to bring. And it's one word, grace. And in fact, you and I, if God didn't operate in the realm of grace, we'd be in trouble. And, and Christianity from the beginning to the end, what saves a Christian? Grace. What keeps a Christian? Grace. What fuels and motivates us? Grace. And some of you are going to be like, he's gone hyper grace. I'll get to you in a second. Um, but it's by grace through faith that you have been saved not of yourself, so that no man can boast. You didn't do jack. You didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. He saved me. And I feel like this woman, and C.S. Lewis, if you want some historical context, he walked once into Oxford, and they were debating what makes Christianity different from every other world religion. And he's like, oh, easy, grace. It's what separates us from all the other religions that say do. Jesus says, done, do you want what I did? And there's a beauty and there's a simplicity in it, but there's a, grace is the most powerful force on the planet. And it's not a concept, it's a person and he gives it. And when you come to Jesus, he gives you a new name and he takes shame off of you and he empowers you and he fills you with There's so much that Jesus does and so little of how much some of us are walking in and I want to walk in the fullness. And so in Luke chapter seven, verse 36, you have Jesus doing what Jesus does. Jesus eats with sinners. He seemed to like to do that. He always was going like, why would you, like, what kind of woman is that? You're going to hear that in this verse. He always was like, why do, why do you sit with those tax collectors and those sinners? And he says, it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. He constantly was doing this. And so verse 36, then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So here's what I know, because I read it the same way. We're in the 21st century. They're a lot of years removed for us. So we read this and we go, Jesus eats with sinners. What's your reaction? Yeah! Jesus eats with Pharisees. Ew. Right? That's a modern reading. 
But if you read the Bible how you would have read it then, or you saw this story how they would have heard it, uh, or how they actually encountered it, you know who you'd be more like in this story? You know who I'm more like in this story? The Pharisee. Because I can guarantee you, if I paraded a, a, just a, a, a line of prostitutes in here this morning, you'd have something to say about it. Same thing's about to happen. So one of the Pharisees invites him to eat. He entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, you might say a woman of the city, all you have to know is that woman had a certain occupation and everybody knew about it. Everybody knew that when she walked in, what kind of woman this is. Anybody know somebody like that? They got a reputation? They just got a reputation for being the scoundrel. They steal stuff. They're not nice. They're dirty. Whatever it is, they have a reputation. And so here's what you got to know. The Pharisee knew the reputation. Jesus knew her reputation. Luke, the writer of the gospel, knew her reputation. And they're all at dinner. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought him an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind, behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. So here's the context. Uh, this would be a semi-private event. And what I mean is the Pharisee is being very intentional about who he invited and how people can see it. So he probably would have left the door kind of open so people could walk by and be like, well, that Pharisee's got Jesus. That's how he would have done it. Because Jesus, to this point, he's been healing, he's getting famous, people know his name, and the Pharisee's like, I got him at my house. But a woman who he didn't invite, and that's the thing of these events, and these would have been three to four hour dinners. And women, you are not allowed to come, and I'm sorry. But they wouldn't have invited the woman. It would have been men uh, reclining at table. And if you've ever heard talks about these kinds of meals, it's literally reclining. And I'll just, like, we're going to do it. Fine. So feet out behind, on a shoulder. Another guy's right here, another guy's right here. I don't know why they like to do that. I don't want to eat dinner with you like that. I do not want to lay down and eat with you. That's not a thing I want to do. But that's how they ate. And they would sit there and they would talk and it was like relational and it was deep and it was really, it meant something back then. This woman walks by, this woman. I don't know if she saw Jesus, but I love that she said, this is it. I don't care, I'm gonna get rid of my shame. I'm going to Jesus. And you think, man, it's probably just really physical. I think there's a spiritual reality. Like when Jesus is around, you're like drawn to him. When Jesus is around, there's a spiritual like, yes, he can do it. And so she goes after Jesus. I think everybody at this point felt a little awkward. Like I said, if, let's just do it this way. Let's say you're having a birthday party or like you're tonight at dinner and all of a sudden a really, that woman walks into your house and starts weeping over your husband's feet. Get a little awkward? You're at your birthday party, here comes the prostitutes. You're like, sorry, hon. Like, it's gonna get awkward, right? We all agree? So the room just changed, because she walked in. But I want you to watch Jesus Christ. I wanna wa watch what he does. Because once again, this is a real woman. This isn't a story, this is an event. This is a real woman with an address, probably kids, probably a background. And if you listen to that man's story that we listened to, he found out that they all had histories, pasts, they had abuse, a lot of them were divorced, and they all had kids. And none of them wanted to work there. 
why would this woman, like, why do you think she was where she was at? And so he says in verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, now that's important, he said it in his head, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now, in this moment, you have to realize, I think the air in the room, I was like, everyone's like, ooh. <laughs> like the disciples are like, oh boy. And in the Pharisee's mind, he's like, you're ruining my dinner and my reputation. You don't belong here. You're a sinner and I am not. Get out. But Jesus literally looks around the room and what happens? And I love it because it's like prophetic irony. If you think a thought right now, let's say, I can just read your thoughts. Let's just say and you're like, man, he's really passionate about this. I don't really like how he's talking. And I look at you and I go, you just thought in your head he's a little passionate and really likes talking about this. You'd be like, stop thinking, stop thinking, right? But Jesus knows his thoughts and then says out loud what his thoughts are and then rebuttals him with a story. Proving what? That he's a prophet, the prophet of God. And he says, say it, teacher. And now what I know a little bit about the religious spirit is I can guess his tone. I can guess it. Only because religious spirits, they love to be right. And what you have to know about Simon is he's a Pharisee. Simon grew up reading the Torah, going to the temple, doing the sacrifices, tithing the things. He knows the law. He knows. And that's the heart of religion. I know. So when he says, say it, teacher. I don't think he's like, please teach me. Say it. You won't. I think that's more of it. So Jesus tells him a story. <sighs> a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So he's probably like, good job, Simon, you did it. So we'll do this. You owe me $100 and you owe me 1000 And I look at you both and I say, you don't, you don't have to worry about paying me back. Who's more excited? Maybe you're like, $100 is a lot of money right now. You can buy me like half a tank of gas. Okay, but I'm going to go with the guy the 1000 right? He's probably a little bit more jazzed, a little more excited. We're like, ah, that's exciting, right? So it's not wrong. Jesus is actually telling a very true thing. Those that are forgiven more and have a lot more past and a lot more things that Jesus removes should be excited about it. And he's about to make a connection that I don't think we make, and I think Simon royally misses it. He says, you have judged correctly. And then it says, turning to the woman. Now, go back to the reclining Jesus. He's at table. He's like face level with Simon, and he looks back at her and looks her in the face. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. He's talking to him, but he's looking at her. Do you see this woman? And I think that question's profound because he didn't. He did not see an image bearer of God. He didn't see someone worth his time. And he was actually really inconvenienced by her presence, but Jesus wasn't. Do you see this woman? 
I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Can I tell you that every time I read this story this week, I wept? Because I want to value Jesus like that. I want to know, when Jesus is around, I want him to have the best. And I'm ashamed that I don't always give him the best because I'm sometimes worried about what people think or I'm sometimes just too caught up in me. And I'm like, no, Jesus, I want to know like, in the depths of my heart your love and the freedom that you bought me, and I want to give you praise, lavish praise. So also, I want to be her when I grow up. I want to be her when I grow up. I want to be a prostitute. And some of you are like, well, I don't understand all this. And so, once again, context is important. We're Americans in the 21st century. They're Jewish in a culture that's unlike ours. And so step one, when you would enter a Jewish home, you know what they would do? They would greet you with a holy kiss. Now, some of you are like, ew. Some of you are from families like that. And I'm like, ew. But any kissing families in here? Like, very European of you. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, no one, Right. So like if you, maybe grandma does this to you guys, right? You go to grandma's house and she's like right on the lips. You're like, grandma, no. Uh, but in this culture, it was high honor. And like a kiss, it was like the whole, like the whole European thing, guys. We just don't do it. And I'm really glad that we don't honor that part of the Bible. Um, I don't want holy kisses from any of you. you he has kissed me before. Uh, that sounded weird. Like on the cheek, shut up. Secondly, they would anoint you with oil. And we think that's a high spiritual thing. Do you know why they anointed you with oil back in the day when you would go in a house and you were going to lay on the floor with a bunch of other dudes for three or four hours? Because you smelled bad. That's it. It's hot. You're sweaty. You've probably been walking for a while. And I'm about to lay face to face with you for about four hours. Let's get some deodorant. Axe that thing. You know, just... So they put it on you. And then thirdly, they would wash their feet. And we've talked, we've had, I know you've heard a sermon. If you've been in youth group long enough, you've probably washed somebody's feet because this, whatever. But it was always for the lowest servant. I mean, it, it was the servant that was the least that had to wash the feet. And you know why? So if you're sweaty and the roads aren't like our roads, they're dusty and dirty and have little, literal crap on them, what happens when you walk on a dusty road and you're sweaty? It sticks to you, gets a little grimy. Y'all ever travel all day? Like, just even in an airport that's not dusty, and you get to the end of the day, and you're like, I just feel grimy. Multiply that. Jesus walks in to this man's home, and he was rude to him. There was no kiss. There was no anointing. There was no washing. There was no honor. But where did he get all of those things and more? From a woman like that. And that's why I want to be like her when I grow up. And it says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Which are, tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if that messes with your theology. Did you hear her confess? Did you hear her repent? 
Did you hear any interaction other than the Son of God looking in a sinner's face and her bestowing love? And she knows and he knows. He says it out loud, her sins, which are many. Here's what I found about sinners. They really know. Oh, they're well aware of their position in society and what people think about them. And they've had shame and crap thrown on them their whole life. And we're the people of God that have received the grace of God. We have been given much, so therefore we should forgive much. And so Jesus, oh, I love Jesus. And it's a great, what happens is uh, she has been forgiven. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven, which leads to a very, really logical question. You're like, what question? Verse 49, those who were at the table with him began to say, who is this who even forgives sins? Why would they ask that question? Because only God can do that. Sin at its core is not a human thing. It's a, it's a human God thing. King David, when he sins against Bathsheba, says, you, I sinned against you. I broke your law. And so God in the flesh looks at a woman, a real woman, with a name and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And she does. And I believe she's set free from that moment because of her boldness in coming to Jesus from all the shame and all her past. And I, I, we don't know what happened to her, actually. But that right there, that moment with Jesus is what theologians have called the scandal of grace. And here's what I've learned. Grace, at its core, grace confuses and angers the religious. Can I tell you why? Uh, Martin Luther actually tagged why. He said, ever since the fall, so Genesis 3, the fall of humanity, they disobeyed God. Man and women have had this earning mindset. We have to earn. And so what happens, I'll, I'll do it this way. I was a horrible student. So hey, if you're a good student, what do you get? A gold star. If you're a bad student, what do you get? Well, you get your little thing, move down the thing to the colors until you're in red, and then they call your parents. That's me, right? So in our culture, you earn. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. The kingdom of God is the exact opposite. The exact opposite. We get the goodness of God and Jesus Christ got my death. She, she encounters this. And then here's what you gotta know. If God didn't relate to us in grace, we would have no hope. And so here's the, the things you gotta start seeing that are happening. Uh, Simon thinks she's the only sinner in the room. Did you hear me? So she actually has a leg up on Simon because she knows her sins are many. And then she's also very infinitely aware that her many sins now have been forgiven. Now Simon, just as needy, just as sinful, but doesn't think he does and doesn't think he is. That's the point of the story. The point of the story is, wow, a really sinful woman got, got freed from her sin. The point of the story is a really sinful man had no clue and wouldn't come to the source of grace that he needed. And so I think one of the most important things I love about Jesus is this, that sinners felt safe around Jesus. Like really safe. In fact, I think the safest place to be with you and your sinful self is with Jesus. The most dangerous place to be is hiding. I want my sin bared out. Here it is. Lord, here's all that I am. I ask for your forgiveness. And he gives it every time. And, and what 
you'll notice is that this woman does a thing, and this is why I say sinners felt safe around Jesus. Um, she lets her hair down. And you're like, that's, I, some of you have your hair down. How uncouth of you. Uh, in that culture, a Jewish woman would never let her hair down unless she was in her house, typically only with her husband. So when one scandalous act of worship and I need help and I'm shame-filled and all the things that have been done to me, I'm getting to the Son of God. And he didn't slap her hand away. And in one act, the Son of God, simultaneously, he ministers to the heart of a broken woman, pulls shame off of her and sends her free, and he's really, he's kind of scolding a Pharisee. Because he answered the question right, but didn't let it affect his heart. And I know some of you are like, well, what about truth? This is why I said it. Doesn't it mess with your theology? He literally says her sins are many. He knows. She knows. Everybody in that room knows. And what, it's just amazing me, the scandal of the heart of God to come down and look people in the face and give them a new name and a new identity because I'm pretty convinced about 78.2% of us in this room operate out of shame. Shame's not of the kingdom. And Jesus gave me a new name. I am a son of God. I am an ambassador for Christ. I have been given access to the throne room of God. I have been given the righteousness of Christ, and I didn't earn it. In fact, I spit on it for a while. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful, it is not a concept. It is a person to be invited to transform the human soul. And so I see three things uh, that come out of, like, that grace produces. When a person encounters Jesus and the grace of God becomes real, manifest, tangible in their heart and life, I think three things flow out of that life. The first one is what I will call unreserved worship. And this is what made me weep this week. I was like, Jesus, you're worth that. You're worth the demonstration. You're worth the uncontrollable passion. You're worth me t crying and weeping. And you're like, how do you say like that? And anytime I talk about worship, people seem to get a little offended. Uh, so I don't know what you do with the Bible, man. The thing that drives Christianity is not your ability or how cool you are. The thing that drives Christianity is the glory and the beauty of the Son of God and that he's great. He's beautiful. And King David, when he dances in his underwear, what do you do with that? Barely get in your underwear and you have a Jesus party, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, like, what, what, but his wife chastises him, but she's wrong. David goes, the Lord's worth this. Shut up, woman. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> what do you do with all the Levites that gave their whole life to one act, worshiping God? What do you do with a woman, that kind of woman, that weeps? And washes the Savior's hair, or washes the Savior's feet with her hair, and gives him praise that I don't see a lot. And when I do, I, I usually feel like it's brought with a little bit of like, don't get too emotional. No, lose yourself in the Son of God. Who I feel. I love him. Like I love the Son of God. And he's worth every tear. And if I have wealth in this world, I want to pour it at his feet. I want to give him everything. You want to know why? Because he gave me everything. And some of you, you don't understand why I'm choking up right now because you don't know him. 
I'm tired of talking grace as a concept. I want it to consume me. I want to look sinners in the face, fellow sinners, and I want to bestow this. I've been forgiven a lot. Have you? Would anybody know? Do you ever smile? Do you ever stop hitting them with a Bible long enough to tell them? That's not in the notes, so I'll pull back. What I'll notice is that Simon, with all of his knowledge, gives no love. Do you have, you know, I understand that feeling. I have the degrees, I know the stuff, and it does not produce love. Meeting Jesus Christ does, though. Knowing Jesus Christ does, though. That's quantifiably different than knowledge. And so I'll ask you a question and you just, you do what you want with it. When was the last time you wept over your sin and then your salvation? And I know I can hear your brains. You're like, are you one of these prophets? I'm not, but I'm trying. Uh, I'm not an emotional type. I might be, but we're not talking about types of people. We're talking about people where the power of God has so transformed their soul that they realized they were supposed to die, but Jesus shoved us out of the way and died instead. That should produce something. If, and if it's not, we're not drilling deep enough into grace. And we need to go deeper and understand. Like Jesus says it out loud. Those who are, have forgiven much. What? What was the word? Love much. So if you're having a hard time loving, maybe you don't realize how much you've been forgiven. Those who have been forgiven much. Love much. Let the love of God pour out of your life this week. Unreservedly, let the love of God pour out of your life and give unreserved worship to God. And I don't care if it's in your car, windows down, breezing. It might be 20, it might be 70, it's Ohio. I don't know. Turn that music up and give unreserved worship to God. You're like, what if somebody sees me? I don't care. Half the time when I see people, I'm like mid-yelling worship and I'm just like, like, it's just gonna have to be because he saved me. He redeemed me. He filled me. He's never left me. He is worth every song. And if he ever tells me to put on my linen ephod and do a dance, you're probably going to fire me, but I'm giving him what he wants. You know, like that, don't take it too far. Take it too far. You can't take Jesus too far. Follow him to the ends of the earth. You know what will still be here when all this goes away? Him. If you do all of this, but don't find him, you wasted your time unreserved worship. I want to be this woman when I grow up. The second thing I see is, I think I see Jesus' heart because Jesus shows up on the earth and you know what he says? So everybody knows John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that he believed in him. Yeah, that. You know John 3, 17? You have that one memorized? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So not condemnation for the sinful woman that everybody knew, but actually to save her. And you see Jesus' heart to come onto the earth and pour out undeserved grace because it's all undeserved. And so I just want to say some things, and they're going to sound a little bit like, um, I think for those of you in here that have committed some mistakes, there's probably been some really shameful things done to some people in this room. I think I just, I started making a list of like, I want you to hear, you are not your divorce. You are not your rape. You are not your abuse. You are not your addiction. You are not your sin. You are not your past. 
you are not your future. If you are in Christ, you are God's child. And there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's not a verse to put on a coffee mug. That's a reality to roll around in. Why do we like not roll around in it? Because the earth and even the church to some degree has weaponized shame. Shame on you. No, shame off of you. In the name of Jesus, shame come off of you. And so I think it becomes a question for us. If Jesus' heart is to sit with sinners and love people and show them the radical power of God to save from sin, how will we receive sinners? And don't answer too quick, because I know what we know the answer is supposed to be. I know what the answer is supposed to be, y'all. But let's get a bunch of like half-drunk, half-naked prostitutes in here and see how much the church people like it. So it's easy to say, right? Like we're like, yeah, get them in here. And then we get them in here and it gets real messy. I mean, I know, this is what I know about church folk. We don't like messes. So do we want to do this kind of ministry? How will we receive sinners? Make it deeper. What's your circle look like? So I know we're, we don't want to be the Pharisee, but when's the last time you invited someone broken into your circle? And I don't mean like a little broken. I mean like dysfunctional. I mean, like the poor and the dirty and the sinners and the prostitutes. Like, when did, you, when did we invite them? And I cry because we don't. And we sit and we go, man, God's so good to me. Well, go pour out that goodness on somebody. Whew. So if we're going to be a church that stewards the grace of God well, you know what we're going to have to get really good at being okay with? Messes. I've never met an unsaved person that already knows the lingo and already knows that this is when we hold our hands up and this is the words we don't say. I've had unsaved dudes tell me that it was the best effing sermon he'd ever heard. And I was like, you have not learned the lingo. Wow. Let's talk. <laughs> don't tell that to that lady. She will hit you. Uh, do you know what I mean? But Jesus didn't expect her to know the lingo. She didn't, all she knew was, that man, he'll save me. And she got to Jesus Christ. And what did he do? Forgave her sin. That's what I'm asking for you today. That you'd come to Jesus and bring him your shame. Bring him your guilt. Bring him the actions that were done against you and exchange them. And then the last thing I see is extravagant generosity. I've heard whole sermons, actually, about this jar this woman brings. And it's true. It would have cost a lot. That oil would have been the most precious thing that woman had. And where did she pour it? On Jesus. And so if you're a Christ follower in this room, there's something that happens when we actually encounter the Son of God. It opens our hands, and we don't want to hold on to the earth anymore. But as I encounter Christians these days, more and more we're like, yeah, Jesus plus money but that's not what i see happening i see jesus when we encounter jesus as he's really supposed to be encountered we're literally like you take what i have you take my money you take my respect you take all that i am i'll give it to you i want you to have it you know better are you living that way there's just a freedom that jesus brings and, and i and it, it could be money it could be time it could be your dignity it could be like, 
you're in Subway, and Jesus is like, go tell that sinner that I love them. And you're like, I'll look weird. He's like, will you look weird for me? Go be weird. Don't be weird on purpose. Go be heavenly on purpose. And so I see those three things. I see unreserved worship. Uh, I see Jesus' heart. And I see extravagant generosity. And I'll just, I want to lean into two or three of those things. First is, some of you are in here and you're like, I don't feel any of that. And so I'll, my answer is, how do, you, how do you produce these things? Um, you're going to love my answer. You're going to roll your eyes. Grace. You're not great. So what we do is you, typically, when I got saved, I ran into the fountain of grace and I was like, he cleansed me. I remember where I was. I remember what it smelled like. I remember what his voice sounded like. He said, I, you know what the world has you know what I'm offering, you choose. And I chose him, and literally I was free. I remember. And I ran in grace, that I just slapped it on every person I could meet. God could save you, God loves you, I mean, I'm everywhere. And then the longer I was in Christianity, they didn't tell me about grace anymore. They said, you gotta go wider. You gotta go into the deeper things of God. This is the deepest thing of God. Christianity is not about width, it's about depth. I want you to picture it like a well. Go deep into grace. And if your heart's not moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you were a sinner and an enemy of God and the, the Son of God died a death for you, pushed you out of the way and died and now offers you righteousness you didn't earn, that doesn't move you at all, go into grace. Plunge the depth, study it, stare at it, say, God, make it a reality in my heart. That's how you grow in these things. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna ask God to deal with shame in this room. And I'm going to make it really similarly to how we prayed for Neriah. So sometimes when we pray, we're like, God, deal with my shame someday in my life. No, God, rip it out of their hearts right now. That's how I want you to pray. And I want you to come with expectation to the Son of God. When you encounter Jesus, everything changes. I told you, I asked God to encounter you. He's not an idea. He's not far away. He's close. And so what, when I say deal with shame, some of you are just riddled with it. It has become your identity, and the Son of God wants to give you a new one. And so we're going to lean into that, and I'm just going to do it this way. The prayer team will come up when we start to worship, and if you're dealing with any kind of shame, I want you to let them come pray. I want you to go let them pray for you. And you're like, that'll be so embarrassing. Pull a woman like this move. Run to Jesus. Forget everything else. Let's watch God heal human hearts. Let's watch God rip shame off our lives. And then some of you in this room, you're gonna deny your shame for about the next 10 years and then God will deal with it. And you'll be like, why didn't I do that sooner? Do it today. But maybe you're like, I don't have any shame. I know I have some. I would love God to just heal everything in us right now. We go run free. If you're in here and you're like, I don't have any shame. I'm ready. Give me a mission. I got a mission for you. I want you to go out to the highways and the byways. Luke 14. I'm very crying today, and I don't know why. I try to suppress my emotions. I'm not doing good job. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. 
For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And you're like, what? Does that? So Jesus is telling a story about what the kingdom of God is like. And he says, I invited all the guests. So he invited the Jewish people, but they didn't come in. And so he says, I want you all to go out and find all the cripples and the, sl- I was going to say sluts, but the, pro- the prostitutes and all the broken people. And I want you to invite them into the kingdom of God. And then they do. And he's like, there's still room. Go find them all. Here's your mission this week. Go find the most despicable person you can and invite them here. Can you do that? Go find someone who has no business being in a church and invite them to this one because I want Jesus to be here and he seems to hang out with those people. Go invite them to your house and eat dinner with them. Go declare the kingdom of God has come near and the king wants you. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go out to the highways and the byways and tell the lame and the broken that the healing power of God has come and that he can save them. Go declare it to the ends of the earth. That's your mission. That's your and my call. Go do it. There's a broken world that desperately needs the church of Jesus Christ to recover grace again. But the only way you can go give it is if you have it. The only way you can be a lover of God that loves people into encounters with them is if you've done that. So can we do that? Can we lean into that? And here's the thing, I don't make God do anything. I can't make the Holy Spirit do anything. I'm just watching the room and like, all right, I see God doing something over there, over there. If you feel God moving, respond, okay? Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.